0: 7.03 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, A lot to get to in hour two of the program. Uh, We mentioned the piece in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette over the weekend in which former Penguins GM, now current POHO in Vancouver, Jim Rutherford, Explained, sort of, is why he left Pittsburgh so abruptly just seven games in to the 2020-2021 season. Joining us now on the program, the author of that piece, the guy that talked to Rutherford about what happened, Jason Mackey here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jason. How are you? Good morning, guys. Doing great. How are you? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So I think I know the answer to this one, but humor me anywhere. What Anyway, what was the genesis? What was the reason that you decided to finally reach out to Jim Rutherford to finally try and get an answer as to why he left Pittsburgh so abruptly a couple of years ago?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I recently moved into a different role at the paper. I was uh, Penguin's beat writer when Jim uh, got to town, and so I covered him closely uh, I had moved on to do uh, Pirates coverage in May of 2019, but we had still stayed in touch. And so I moved into a different role, more of like an enterprise column and this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, I wanted to go down to North Carolina and hang out with Jim a little bit and kind of talk about talk about the old days, just kind of reminisce, maybe play a round of golf, something like that. And so we were trying to plan this trip and it just didn't work out. He was going to uh, Vancouver by the time that I could get down there. Um, and so we agreed, you know, he said, call me next week. Okay, okay. So I, I called him. We talked on the phone for a while. And, you know, we, we honestly didn't even start with that. I had started talking to Jim about what he was doing in Vancouver, how much he liked it, um, you know, sort of how life is like for him and his family now. And, you know, we got to a point. He kind of like alluded to a little bit of Pittsburgh stuff, but I just kind of said, You're really not going to tell anybody why you left, huh? And, and just kind of joking with him. And he said, You know, I've been thinking about that. I should probably say something. And, you know, and I think I included that in the piece, but then, you know, I just sort of let him go much like I've learned with Jim over the years. You know, when he has something to say, he's going to say it. And so he did. You know, he was careful about how he worded it. Um, I think there's probably more to what he said than is in there, but I think the, the general description is pretty good. That he has, by and large, been very good at handling criticism or rough moments in the job, and I think he got to a point because of COVID, because of whatever, that he just wasn't able to handle that as well as he used to.
0: So he said, you know, this is the quote. If I give a short answer to it, everyone is going to keep asking more questions and that's not something I want. But I do think at some point I should say something about it. So essentially, he told you that It was the stresses that uh, came with the early onset of COVID and the pandemic. Uh, He alluded to being isolated in the house for, he said, close to 10 or 11 months where he was still working and handling the rigors day to day of being a general manager in the NHL, but doing it in a very confined space. And I think everyone can kind of relate to the stresses that the early parts of the pandemic had on everyone. And then, I'm assuming you tried to ask some follow-ups, and then that's where Rutherford was like, I already said this, Jason, I don't want to do the follow-ups. Is that kind of how the conversation went?
1: Yeah, but it wasn't, there wasn't friction there. I mean, Jim and I know each other well enough that, like, you know, and I asked probably five different follow-ups on, you know, well, what about this, or did this happen, or or, was this a factor? I'm just trying to clarify this versus this, you know? And I said to him, I said, Jim, like... I'm not trying to break Watergate here or whatever. I mean, you know, you're obviously trying to get to the bottom of the story. It's like, I'm also trying to understand it. And at one point later in the conversation, he had explained this and, you know, he said, I I think, you know, people will understand where I'm coming from. I said, Jim, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know where you're coming from here. You know, and that led to like a sort of circular explanation. We got a little bit further to to figure out what was happening. I mean, I do understand, you know, the, the COVID stuff and being boxed in, you know, i Believe me, you guys are probably the same way. Like, I covered pro sports for a living when, when the offseason rolls around and I have to go back into family mode. Like, there's an adjustment there. I mean, it was hard for all of us during the shutdown. And it's not like Jim was shoved in a closet somewhere. Like, his house here was quite nice and he had space, but I think he's just used to a certain routine. I think his family was used to a certain routine, and they struggle with it. And, you know, at the same time, just speaking on the Penguins and what they were going through, like, you know, times have been tense here right? Like, this is a, a franchise that won back-to-back Stanley Cups. The expectations are high as long as they have Crosby and Malkin, and they they want to win, and they want to win now. And things have not gone well for them in the playoffs, and Rutherford had made some decisions that got criticized and probably weren't great. So, like, you know, I, he's a hockey lifer. He's used to this, but I mean, people are still human when you don't have things that help you relieve stress or live life the way you want to. Not that anybody needs to hear my lecture on it, but like, I understand where he's coming from and just like, you know, having a tough time. So
2: so Jason, when, when people now ask you, Hey, why did Jim Rutherford leave the Penguins? What, what do you say?
1: I would say that he encountered, um, a bunch of stress in a situation that he didn't like in the middle of COVID and, um, you know, was not in a, a mental state where he wanted to put up with it. And I think he probably, you know, got to a certain point in his life. I mean, he's 70, I believe he's 73 now off the top of my head, but where he kind of said, "Screw it! I don't have to yeah. do this." Um, I think Jim might disagree with that, but that's my opinion on it. Um, he might, you know, massage it a little bit more, but said, "Like I've done this, I should be able to do this." And I think I, I think I wrote it honestly in the piece where the Canucks offered the president of hockey operations thing or whatever you want to call it. Like I think that was a role that interested him in Pittsburgh, and I'm not sure they wanted him to have that role. And so there's probably some upsetness there I would imagine or just a hey I can go somewhere else and get this even if it's not outright upset so I guess that's probably more of a long-winded answer than you were looking for but I should get to it
2: We're speaking with Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette about a column he wrote after his interview with Jim Rutherford. Um, Jason how much have things changed in Pittsburgh organizationally since Jim Rutherford left, since Fenway Sports Group uh, bought the team?
1: A ton. A ton, really. I mean, talking about Jim and, you know, thinking about the way Jim does things, I'm sure you guys have seen a little bit of it out there. But, I mean, it was like the Wild West compared to how they are now. Um, And it, it was funny while Jim was here because he was such an outlier to how the Penguins conduct business. They're very secretive. Um, it been secretive. Mike Sullivan, their coach is not, well, I mean, I, I think the world of Sullivan, but I mean, he's, he's basically Bill Belichick of the Patriots, just using more words. Like he, he does not want to share state secrets. And here you have Jim just sort of <laughs> shooting from the cuff in, in the way he does things. But, um, so Fenway sports group has, has changed a lot, but they still, you know, fashion themselves as a contender. They're going to spend to the cap. They made a bunch of off season moves, basically bringing the band back together. And I mean, the, the goal is the same. I would say just how they've gone about it is a little different in terms of staffing. After Jim left, they bring in Brian Burke, and that's sort of, you know, they've kind of split the baby there, or however you want to say mm-hmm. it, where Hextall's taken taken over. Um, he's made a greater push or, or prioritized more keeping young talent. You know, Jim last year probably would have mortgaged the future because that's kind of what Jim did, and Hextall's operated with the edict of, like, keeping prospects, keeping picks, as much as possible. And then you have Burke in there to kind of, you know, take a 30,000 foot view and and not necessarily look over Hexall's shoulder, but just another set of eyes. And that wasn't something they had before.
0: That dynamic is interesting to me. I know you touched on it in the piece in that uh, Rutherford goes to Vancouver and becomes the president of Hockey Ops and takes that sort of 30,000 bird-eye view look. The position that Brian Burke is in is essentially that, it didn't exist in Pittsburgh prior to, and then when it did, it wasn't Jim Rutherford that got it, it was Brian Burke. It worked that dynamic out for me, because you know Rutherford said it had nothing to do with his departure, but I find it hard to believe that that position that didn't really manifest itself for him, and then got filled by Brian Burke, another veteran hockey guy who's getting close to 70 himself. Uh, there's a dynamic there that I'm not really sure how to explain. Maybe you can help me.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I totally understand it either, but I can tell you what I know and what my observations are of the situation. And so in talking to Jim, he brought up a couple of times unprompted about this president of hockey ops role. And remember, we started off our conversation talking about Vancouver and what he's doing. And so, you know, he talked about what this is like and him liking it and Patrick Aldean working under him. And, you know, I sort of asked, you know, how, to, how does that dynamic work? And he said, Patrick handles a lot of the GM stuff and, and Jim's kind of, Further back provides guidance or whatever. Um, but, you know, I thought it was interesting the way the Penguins transitioned out of the Rutherford era and into the Brian Burke and Ron Hextall era, where David Morehouse was their president at the time um, and basically said, you know, when they did this, and they Hextall and that, that Mario randomly said, hey, what's Berkey doing? And, said, well, you know, Berkey's available if we want to hire I'll bring him in. You know, it was like the, the car and Dumb and Dumber, like pick him up. I, it, it's certainly nothing against Brian Burke, but it just seemed like a little bit more fly by the seat of your pants than, you know, you have a guy who won two cups for you who's saying that he suggested this role, would, would you know, advocate it for this role, saying at this time in the future, this is where I'd like to transition. And they've outright shut that down. Like, that's what I know, but I don't understand why, you know, if Jim suggests this, why would the Penguins turn it down? So did Jim suggest it? I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you that for sure. If the the Penguins weren't interested in it, why all of a sudden once Rutherford quit, they suddenly become so interested in it that they randomly suggest Brian Burke to slide into this role that doesn't exist. Like, there's something here that's not being said. Um, And I, I don't know on which side, you know, things sort of shift.
2: How much did you talk about Vancouver and what his new position was like in Vancouver? Interest, anything interesting that maybe didn't make it into your piece that uh, Canucks fans would, would be interested in, in here?
1: Yeah, I, I, there's one nugget there, and I, I joked with Jim that the conversation basically has two parts. Um, I said, like, I have a Vancouver part and a Pittsburgh part for you. And, um, and you sort of laughed, but we started with the Vancouver stuff. Anyway, I, I thought one thing that was interesting was him talking about the timeline of things in Vancouver and what his expectations are. Um and maybe this is known to you guys, but I thought there was a little bit more patience there, not not patience. That's using the wrong word, but like, you know, he really emphasized a lot the urgency to do this like now. Um and that seems to be the edict that he's operating under that like, you know, we need to make decisions to win now. Um and you know, this is not like a, a couple years out thing. Um, so that was cool. Um, it was it was neat. We didn't talk, or I didn't use it, but we talked about him and Bruce Boudreau and their relationship. And I I joked with Jim that like that must be a beat reporter's dream, man to have to have you and Bruce in the same place. Like those two have never really had a conversation that they couldn't have. Like jeez, off the off the record stuff. I, I described the Penguins as a little bit like the CIA or whatever, like being super tight with information. Those two would be the opposite. They'd, you'd, they'd probably have you constantly in stitches, but uh, yeah. So we talked about that dynamic a little bit. I didn't know that Boudreaux's first NHL goal came against Rutherford. That was fun. So They've <laughs> known each other a long time. You guys have probably been all over that story.
2: Yeah, we'd know. heard that. But but amazing. I actually I actually want to get back to that timeline thing. Yeah. Because the timeline thing in Vancouver has been a big question, and I think there's been a lot of people here in Vancouver that are a little bit surprised that Jim Rutherford hasn't made more moves um and there was conversations actually and Jim Rutherford said this earlier in the season when the Canucks were really struggling and he said one of the things we're considering here is if we have to make some moves to maybe take a step back in order to take steps forward in the future but it sounds like that option based on the conversations with you is no longer there and they're about the here and now now
1: yeah I mean that's um
3: it certainly seems that way.
1: Um, it is surprising that I say this kind of tongue in cheek. It's surprising that Jim hasn't made a trade yet. Um, he seems to make those in his sleep sometimes. And, you know, I think he over made them, frankly, in Pittsburgh, a lot of his tenure became, um, consumed by that. But, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I had enough of a feel for like what the Canucks are doing or what the right move is. Um, but I, you know, just in talking to Jim, um, you know, and, and you know what, as, as we're going over this, like maybe I should have been less surprised. Like I don't, I don't think Jim would have the patience or the, you know, I, I don't think he would voluntarily walk into a situation where there was going to be a full-scale rebuild. Yeah. You know, he is going to want to compete given his age and, and what he's accomplished.
0: Uh, one final thing I wanted to ask, and it's about the tenure that's now, of course, over. How is Rutherford remembered in Pittsburgh?
1: Yeah, it's very mixed. It's very mixed. I was actually writing something this morning just in the, the new role, like a new column or whatever, and it baffles me about how few how many people do not appreciate the legacy that he left here. Um, you know and he's done a lot of things that deserve to be criticized, and he would be the first person to say that. Um, he also won the cup twice, and it it it's astonishing to me that people are so quick to forget that. Um, you know, even the piece I did, people there were, there were a group of people that said, "Oh, great, we're hearing from Rutherford again. This idiot, we can't stand him." Like, guys, do you realize like what this what this man accomplished? I'm not sh- saying he should be, you know, given sainthood or something insane, but like, he he doesn't need the first words out of your mouth regarding this guy should not be negative. Um but I would I would say honestly if I'm if I'm gonna break it down, you know, maybe seventy five percent of people really love the guy and appreciate him. There's just a twenty five percent that I don't understand that like he can do no right. I I and again, I just don't understand it. He hasn't been perfect. He is admitted to mistakes. I mean the Jack Johnson contract was horrendous. His first year he left the Penguins with five defensemen. Um, you know, he he's <laughs> I swear there are some players that like he's traded like Tanner Pearson, I don't know what he was doing there. They never got the most out of Jamie Alexiak. Not that that's his fault. Jim probably ran his mouth too much regarding like Tom Wilson and other things. But sometimes he just can't help himself. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, you win two cups, man. You, <laughs> you're doing something right.
0: Jason, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer and uh, congrats on the new gig. Well done. I will.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Thank you very much, Jason. Have a good one.
0: Thank you. That's Jason Mackey from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, now the senior sports writer at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette talking about Jim Rutherford. Interesting stuff in that conversation.
2: So all of it was interesting. First of all, the the Pittsburgh angle and why he ended up leaving, um, but especially for Canucks fans here. The conversation um, that Jason had with Jim where they talked about the timeline in Vancouver, and Jim told Jason... Hey, you know, a lot of people think I'm coming here for, you know, a big retool or or rebuild. That's, that's not the case. And based on the Canucks lineup right now, based on the Canucks roster right now, that appears to be playing out. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And, and that's always, that's always the question here in Vancouver. What is the timeline? And it has been for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. When do you guys, when do you guys want to be competitive again? Right. And the question always seems to be like now. Right and uh, unfortunately, the Canucks made some moves to speed up the timeline that actually, in effect, slowed down the timeline because they spent bad money and that bad money had a cost to it in both opportunity cost and assets given up to get rid of those mistakes. And um, the Canucks right now are they're a team they're a, a middling roster. Like if you look at their roster, you're like. That's not a bad roster. Actually, the forward group and the, def- and, the and the goaltender are, are, are pretty good. The defense, not so much. Like, But if you look at this roster right now, it could compete for a playoff spot for sure. Absolutely. But where does it go from there? How does it get better? Because the prospect group isn't that good. And that's why Jim Rutherford, earlier in the season, when the Canucks were struggling, mm-hmm. and maybe in the early tenure of Bruce Boudreaux, Um, he was saying, look, we're considering right now whether or not we need to take some steps back, which means trading veteran players for futures. That's the translation there. In order to build a better team for the future. Has that narrative changed a little
0: bit? Uh, Yeah, and you know what else has changed in that time? Rutherford did bring on a general manager. I do wonder if part of... Here's the thing. It's funny because we talk about Rutherford still, like he's the GM. Like, we just assume that he's calling all the shots and it's it's his operation, right? He's the president of Hockey Ops. I do wonder, there's a quote in here, and I, I couldn't tell if this was him just window dressing or saying what he thinks need to be said publicly, but he said, Patrick Alvine does the general manager's work. He's making the calls, he does the grunt work on contracts or player trades or things like that. In my role, I'm here to support him and give him guidance. So I do wonder if part of having a general manager... That's actually going to general manage. You do have to stop being trader Jim or Jim Rutherford, the gunslinger that's making all these deals and say, "Okay, you have to form this team in the way that you want. Now, I'm going to have my input, but I can't pick up the phone. I'm being Jim Rutherford at this point. I can't pick up the phone and say, Patrick, make a trade. Well, I mean, mean,
2: he's not going to do that. He doesn't want to make all the calls.
0: So I and here's the curious thing. We don't really know what Alvin's vision is, period. He's, he doesn't do a lot of media. Yeah. And when he's spoken, I think it would be safe to say he's fairly guarded mm-hmm. in his remarks. Like he's not an open book, whereas Jason Mackey, who we just had on the program, pointed out Rutherford is. Rutherford yeah. will talk and talk and talk. And we've had him on the show, and I'm like, this is great. This is. He, it's he an talks. interesting
2: dynamic for, for sure. Who ultimately is in control of the vision for the team? And the timeline because there's a few candidates here. Jim Rutherford, who's the president of Hockey Ops. Patrick Alvin, the general manager. How about the owner? Sure. Like he, he that there's still a hierarchy here, right? Oh yeah. Jim Rutherford is Patrick Alvin's boss, and Jim Rutherford's boss is
0: the owner of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. And that's what's made it so fascinating, but also kind of frustrating from our perspective. Because we, you know, I don't think we'll ever get complete clarity and vision into how the entire thing works, but we'd love to know. And it's still early times, too, so, right?
2: So Jason Mackey just sent along a quote that I, I guess didn't make it into the article for length reasons. Uh, here's Rutherford on the Canucks timeline. We have a challenge here. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. We have to build a team as quickly as we can in a manner that it can sustain being a contender in a manner that it can sustain being a contender. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of have your cake and eat it too, which we've heard from the Canucks in previous eras. Like we want to do things as fast as we can, but we also want it sustainable. Right? Sure. Um, it's also an interesting comment because Jim Rutherford hasn't been here for all that long and yet he's making comments like it's been a long frustrating time for people here. Yeah. But what Canucks fans want is a winner, a sustainable winner. Most of all, they've seen the rush jobs. They've seen the money spent that wasn't well spent in order to get a winning team together as fast as possible. Are the same mistakes going to be made?
0: Oh, I, I mean, that's that's a, that's a fair and valid point. I, again, I hate bringing up the ghosts of the past and casting them on the current group because it's not fair. At the top, yes, because it's still the same ownership group that uh, oversaw the previous regime that oversees the new regime, right? Uh, maybe it's in, in a naive, optimistic world. You think that, well, there's a hockey operations department and they're left to do what they've got to do based on their viewings. Now, the the quote that you brought up Was interesting about the long suffering of this market and how fans are frustrated. I do think that's one of the things that he's probably Jim Rutherford has probably experienced over the course of his tenure. Because remember, there was that I don't want to call it infamous, but there was that little tête-à-tête between him and Don Taylor on Donnie and Dolly on Check TV, where Donnie said, "Hey, you know what's fueling all this, Jim? Fifty years of frustration, no Stanley Cup. Like that's the market." And in his defense, Rutherford did say in the piece. I like that. I embrace that. I, he said, I love the Canadian way of life. I love working at Canadian market. Remember, for this Hall of Fame career that he's got as an executive, he's never been a general manager or president of Hockey Ops of a Canadian franchise. This is a first for him at 73, which is interesting in its own right. That's a great dynamic there about this new challenge and this new market. But he really seems to embrace that and acknowledging it in some of these quotes. But it all adds up to a really fascinating dynamic because you did say, look... Uh, having your cake and eating it too, wanting to be a continual contender while taking a step back and rebuilding. We've heard this before, and we've heard about how these are the pressures of the Canadian market. What is this group of executives and president of hockey ops and general managers going to do differently to attain that goal? Or is that goal attainable? This is what we're trying to figure out. And the weird part is that we have spent a summer just sitting to try and figure it out because by Jim Rutherford's standards, it's been a pretty quiet existence in an executive role here, like Jason Mackey just said it on our show. I'm kind of shocked that he hasn't made the big trade yet. There hasn't been any wheeling and dealing and moving and shaking that while you love it or you hate it in Pittsburgh, that was his calling card. I don't think anyone can argue with that statement of fact that Jim Rutherford was trader Jim. That's what he did. Different situation in Pittsburgh. They
2: had Sid and Gino on Letang. Yep. They had a for sure Stanley Cup contender. It's Alfred and Bruff show on sportsnet 650 coming up next julio Caravato. caravada talk about the nathan rourke injury and where the bc lines go from here
0: time now for sportsnet 650 traffic from the city news 1130 air patrol 733 on a monday happy monday everybody halford brough sportsnet 650 Alfred and Breath for the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Right now, it's Delari's five days to save. Just this week, August 23rd to 27th, only the biggest selection of pre-owned vehicles with the best savings of the summer. If you want to check them out, North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Uh, Let's go to the phone lines now. We'll dive back into the BC Lions news over the weekend. Uh, The weekend started out great, didn't end great. Joining us now, uh, Julio Caravetta here on the Halftime Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Julio. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, We're good. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. So uh, we're only a few hours out from the announcement on Sunday afternoon slash evening. A uh, tough one for the BC Lions. There's no other way to look get it, get around it. But uh, Nathan Rourke with a Lis Frank sprain uh, that's in the foot that's going to cost him potentially the remainder of the season. They're holding out hope that he might have a return sometime later in the fall. But uh, I imagine that that news had to be received like a gut punch to the organization and the guys on the field that it got out to that eight and one record.
3: Yeah, no, no question. Uh, devastating news, right? Um, you know, Nathan uh, was having such a fantastic year and the team was off to a great start and, uh, you know, there just seemed to be such a great vibe uh, around the team and, uh, you know, people were interested in going back to the games. So um, yeah, I you mean, know, what, 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 else can you say? I mean, it's, it's, it's football, it happens, but uh, really I just feel sick for Nathan. You know, he's such a, he's such a good kid uh, who's worked extremely hard um, and all the success that he's having um, is so well-deserved um and you know we're all going to just wonder what could have been um the year he was having was or the year the numbers he was putting up you know would you know could have been historic um but we'll never know uh so unfortunately for him um he now has to try to rehab that thing you know i the you know what how i you know the way i know nathan i I mean i'm you know that he is going to give everything he possibly can to get back as quickly as he can and whether that can happen or not, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm sure I was like everybody else yesterday looking up a, a Lisfranc injury on Google, trying to figure out what it was. So, um, you know, some reports are, you know, he could come back. Others are saying it's going to be a long process. So we'll just have to wait and see.
2: Yeah, I was going to I was gonna ask you what you know about the Lisfranc <laughs> injury. And uh, you, you know as much as I do. We were talking, it was named after a, a French surgeon back in the Napoleonic yeah. days. Ah, okay. Uh, it, but I mean, long story short, it seems like this is one of these injuries that you cannot rush the recovery period yeah. or things could get worse and it could become a chronic issue. Nathan Rourke is a young
3: guy. He doesn't want a chronic issue. Yeah. You know, there's no question about that. You know, the, the funny thing is not funny, but I, uh, yesterday, you know, when I was downstairs and I had, uh, you know, the NFL network on and I was watching and, and, I saw that uh, I, I forget his his first name, the kid out of Old Miss that got drafted by Carolina Carroll is his last name. Um, he has a Lis Frank injury. And I saw it on I saw it run underneath the the, the ticker and I was thinking, a Lis Frank? What is that? Right? I I'd never heard of it before and then later on, you know what I mean, you hear it again. I'm thinking, Wow, two in one day. Um but yeah, you mean you just don't know. You you mean uh, as far as the rehab goes, I mean I'm I'm gonna ask as many questions as I can, but it just seems that uh the degree of when you can expect to come back or if he has surgery and how or when he has surgery you know when is he going to be able to start putting weight on it all that kind of stuff you know i read something yesterday it's going to be 6 to 8 weeks so who knows um where it's all going to end up but again just you know you just feel sick for the kid because uh he was just having such a, an amazing year
2: the task for michael o'connor um He's not going to, he's not, I don't think anyone's going to ask him to play like Mm -hmm. Nathan Rourke was playing, like one of the greatest performances in CFL history, go out and do that.
3: What is Michael O'Connor capable of? Well, you know, I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity for Michael, right? And the same for, you know, the other quarterbacks that are there, you know, I mean, Antonio Pipkin's another guy that's been in the league. This is his fourth year. This is Michael's third year. Um, this is a, a tremendous opportunity. This is why you play, right? You, you you know you never want to see injury to a teammate, but it's the nature of the beast, right? You now have an opportunity to step up and, and fill fill that hole. Um, and Michael, you know, I think you, you really you make a great point. Like Mike has got to realize that he's not going to be Nathan Rourke, right? He needs to be the best version of Michael O'Connor. Um, and Michael's shown that, that he, he you know he understands the defense. He works very hard. Um, he's a different style of quarterback, so now it's going to be up to Jordan McSinnick, the offensive coordinator, to you know to try to figure out okay what what works for for Michael O'Connor, what works for Antonio Pipkin, and and try to generate a game plan that may be a little bit different than what Nathan uh, Rourke was running, but you know you need you need to find out what he's really good at, and I'm sure they already know that. And now they just have to try to put him in the best positions. Now the other thing, guys, is this is that, and I'm sure this is happening behind, you know, behind the doors of, of their clubhouse, is that they've got a veteran group, right? They've got a lot of talent on that team, and you know that they're going to try to rally around their young quarterbacks, Michael O'Connor and, and the rest of them. So everyone needs to step up, step up their play, right? And you got to realize that you know he's going to be different than Nathan, and maybe he's not going to be able to win games the way Nathan has been winning games, but they definitely have the talent to win, so it, they just got to find they got to find that groove with Michael O'Connor. Uh,
0: what's O'Connor's mobility like? Because I think it's important to point out here that for all the great, yeah. pa- all the great passing that Rourke's had this year, um, you know, you, the automatic thing is you look at the injury and you say, okay, well, offense coordinator and head coach, you know, they alter the game plan. Maybe they get a little bit more conservative. Maybe they run the ball. So James Butler's been fine, been solid, very solid as a starting running back, the second leading rusher on the team. Is Nathan Rourke. So that's a pretty big yeah. part of what they do. How can O'Connor fit yeah. in that regard? I know he's big. Is he as mobile? I'm assuming no.
3: Yeah, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say honestly that he's as mobile. Um, you know, he's a big kid, uh six five, he's got a big arm, and you know, mean and, and he is athletic. He can move around and run, but I don't know whether or not he's the same kind of athlete as as Nathan. And you're right. You know, Nathan's ability to run the football is, was another, you know, kind of bullet in his holster, right? He, you had, you had to try to defend that. So I, you know, I don't think he's going to be the same kind of runner. Can he get out of the pocket and move around? Yeah, absolutely. We've we've seen examples of that, but I think he's more kind of guy that has a, has a very good arm. He's smart. He needs to read a defense and he needs to be able to throw the ball and get the ball out of his hands. Now, Hey guys, I mean, I, I don't, you, you guys, you know, watch football. Like I watch football, he's a young quarterback. He hasn't got a lot of game experience. So what is the defense going to do? They're going to say, "Hey, listen, we're going to test you and we're going to put you in scenarios where we're going to really try to get at you and test you and see how you respond." Right? Because that's the other big thing that Nathan had had done so, you know, so brilliantly was his ability to, to really anything you throw at him, he just he you know, he might struggle a little bit and we've seen a little bit of that where but he would figure you out and then he would start to hurt you. And that's what you need from a quarterback, right? Okay, you may get me once, you may may get me twice but I'm going to figure out what you're doing in the end. And that's something that he's going to have to prove that he can do. It's, it, it's really, um, you know, for most defenses, that's, that's the MO. Hey, we're going to test this guy. We're going to – because the other, the other part, too, guys, is this. You know, we, we see it across the board. It doesn't matter what level of football. But as a quarterback, when you get into the game, you know, you can go through practice and you can watch film and you can do all the X's and those stuff. Yeah, I'm supposed to go here. And, yeah, if they show me this look, I'm going to do this. And it all is fine and dandy when you're watching the film. But in the end, when you get into a game and you have that pressure and that anxiety that goes along with people running all around you and, and, and people flashing in front of your face and that ability to process in a, you know, in a couple of seconds is what separates you know good quarterbacks and great quarterbacks. And that's one of the things that I have been so – like I've been in absolute awe of, of Nathan was that ability to process information at that speed um, and and remain have that, that sense of calm uh, that he has shown it's, it's for a young quarterback it's almost unheard of. So those are the kinds of things that you develop and you you grow into, mm-hmm. but it takes time and it takes it takes game experience for you to establish that kind of the, the the ability to to deal with that kind of pressure and the speed of the game because that's something that is really going to be different for Michael O'Connor.
2: Julio, getting back to the Nathan Rourke situation, I, I know this is, a, this is a topic that's still very fresh and we're, we're waiting to see how uh, the rehab goes for Nathan Rourke. But let's be honest, there were plenty of reports as Nathan Rourke was piling up incredible stats over the first half of mm-hmm. the CFL season that NFL teams will take notice and they might have an interest in uh, giving him at least a workout or possibly even just signing <laughs> him I gotta ask the question, is it possible is it possible that Nathan Rourke has played his last game for the Lions?
3: Wow. Um that is that is that is definitely a possibility. Um I you know I mean I, I, I can't deny that. You know, uh, Nathan, what Nathan's been able to do in his body of work, even though it's nine games, you know, as I said, like I've been watching the game a long time and you know, you talk about mechanics, and you talk about all this other stuff, and it's all very, very important. But what you, what, what his ability, like, and as I said, to process information, to to remain calm, and and and, and to be able to work through your progressions the way that he does, is something you just don't see very often. It, it's a God-given talent that he has, and so, you know, if if I'm seeing it, you're not going to tell me that you know the NFL isn't seeing it and, and the scouts. You mean they're scouring the earth for, for quarterbacks. It's the most important position on on the field. So if you find somebody like you know, you look down in, in Seattle for example, you know, you look at Geno Smith and he's been in a league for how many years and now he's getting an opportunity where he may be able to step up and play and, and, and from what I've seen in preseason he doesn't look very good. Right? So eventually what happens is that you I mean you need to be able to step out on the field when it matters the most, when the pressure's the most, the anxiety is the most, and every, a lot of things on the line, and be able to deliver. And that's what Nathan has been able to do. Whether that translates into the NFL, I don't know. I, I, I would think it will. Um, everything that I've seen tells me that he can definitely play down there. But now all of a sudden you have to say to yourself, okay, where's the opportunity? Who believes in him? Because we all know the politics of the NFL. Where are you drafted? Where did you go to school? Especially in the highest profile position. So is someone going to see what they see on film and see what, a, what he does in a workout and say, hey, this guy's good enough to be our backup. This guy's good enough to push our starter. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I mean, that is still yet to be determined. But everything that I've seen to this point tells me that he is more than capable of doing that.
0: Uh, one final thing, because I like stoking the flames of controversy here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, he, Nathan Moore, gets injured against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Is that just a coincidence, or is there something else there, given yeah. their history?
3: No, I mean, I, 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 that's just a football play. I mean, it's just unfortunate that uh, the way that he got tackled, and and uh, but I, I didn't. There, there's nothing there. You I mean I, I know that. The, they are, you know, they've obviously had some issues with uh, player discipline and all that kind of stuff, but it, I didn't see anything on that play. That, that's just a football play. It just happened that, you know, way his foot was tucked underneath him and the way he was brought down, uh, it just is, it's just unfortunate. It just happens in football. So um, I don't think there's anything there.
0: Julio, thanks for doing this, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again soon. Thanks, buddy. appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's Julio Caravada here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 on what is a obviously tough day for BC Lions and BC Lions fans as life without Nathan Rourke begins.
2: Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. God, I am so depressed about this. Absolutely sucks. We will make the playoffs, and I would hope Nathan's there to play, but man,
0: just gutted. That's a text that came in that you were reading. There. Yes. but Maybe you're depressed too. I don't know. We haven't I had am, that much time I to am,
2: talk. I am sad about the BC Lions. They were a really good story. And I probably shouldn't use the past tense there. They still could be a very good story. They're still eight and one. Um, But let's be honest here. Let's face facts. The story was Nathan Rourke. Yes, he's got a great receiving core, obviously. And Michael O'Connor will um, be helped out by that. Um, But Nathan Rourke was doing things that we haven't seen a BC Lions quarterback do recently.
0: Well, he led the NFL NFL. He led the CFL at the time of his injury in passing touchdowns with Mm -hmm. twenty-five. He was second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns with seven. I mean you just incredible. You can't yeah, and that's what everyone was talking about. Another reason that this is such a brutal, brutal development is because he was on pace to maybe challenge the CFL record for most combined touchdowns. Again, Mm -hmm. you're the leading passer of touchdowns (laughs) you're second in the rushing of the touchdowns you got a pretty good chance to put together a historic season in terms of putting the ball through the air and this is what's really going to be interesting for me that's where I think this entire season for the Lions is going to be make or break now I don't think it's fair for anyone to suggest that O'Connor who's a big dude is going to come in and run the way that Rourke ran he was the second leading rusher on the team and he led the team in rushing touchdowns you can't just expect that What you're going to say is, well, here we've got a quarterback that's 6'5", that can see over the line of scrimmage easily, that has a big arm, and has a really good receiving core. So maybe the answer isn't going to be, let's keep it conservative, let's dial back the playbook, let's try and run the ball. Maybe it's, hey, let's try and get the ball into receivers' hands with a guy that has an arm and maybe isn't necessarily going to get it done with his feet.
2: You know, we've been talking about the organization and the fans and how disappointed we are. How about for Nathan Rourke? How disappointing is this for him? Mm-hmm. 24 years old, was having an unbelievable season. His career suddenly opening up all these avenues. Now he's got to deal with this injury, this rehab at just the worst time. I feel awful for Nathan Rourke.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm not saying that things are going to be different now or that this is a career ender. It's obviously not, but he's got a really tough rehab to come back from. Um, this injury is tricky. From what I've read, and if you don't do the recovery right, then you're dealing with a chronic issue, and you don't want to have foot pain when you're a quarterback, especially not a mobile, a quarterback like Nathan Rourke. Maybe Nathan Rourke, you know, think of think of what he was probably thinking. Okay, this year uh, I could win MOP sure. in the CFL. I've got a really good team. I could play in the Grey Cup, yep. and then next season. What's it gonna What's it gonna hold for me? Maybe the NFL. This could affect, uh, maybe NFL teams being interested in bringing him in. They're like, Yeah, we were interested before, but you know, check back with us
0: after you figure out this injury. Yeah, there was there was a proving I feel gra- awful for him. There was a proving ground on the horizon, which is probably for both parties the biggest frustration is that uh, you were going to get a chance to see is this hot start to the season, which is more than a hot start. Now we're halfway through, but is this hot start to the season sustainable? How would Nathan Rourke react when he was playing in terrible conditions late in the fall in the prairies, where it was like you know sleet and snow and whatever else? Giant winter mosquitoes—do those exist? Um, <laughs> winter mosquitoes? Yeah, yeah, they're a problem. Winter, they're a problem. They, they put on coats. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. That. Uh, but that those were all things. And then you talked about the playoffs. You know, getting to see him go into a playoff game where the. You know, all the good cliches come out, mm. the intensity, to get, intensity gets well, right Hosting a game. Yeah, like that would have been great to see how mm-hmm. he would have reacted. It probably would have given NFL scouts a better gauge as to whether this was, oh, a guy that got out to an 8-1 and one start in the first half of the season and put up all his numbers against whatever, like with yeah, the yeah. easy part of the season. I'm mm-hmm. using easy in air quotes. As opposed to... And then they figured him out or something. Yeah, right? You got yeah. Oh, we got tape on him now. All those things don't get to be played out, and that's that's a real bummer. Uh, we've got an hour left on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, we're going to talk to Cam Robinson. He is the re- director of film scouting, which is a very official title, the director of film scouting for Elite Prospects. He was covering the World Juniors, recently wrapped up over the weekend. Canada captures gold, 3-2 overtime win against Finland in front of dozens of people in Edmonton. Now that the final was well attended, but uh, we will talk to Cam Robinson coming up, and then at 8.30 we'll do What We Learns. So start getting those in now, hashtag WWL, uh, what we learned. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Let us know. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Text it in. We can read it on the air. We just got Ugh, one in yours now. Yours is going to be about Leeds, isn't it? Actually, I was going to do one about the footy, but not about Leeds. Okay. We got one in from the Pokey Reddick posse, one of my favorite texters. What I learned, Pokey writes, what an absolute cracker of a match yesterday between City and and Live Golf FC. Look, if you're going to call Newcastle Live Golf FC, you I think need that's s- hilarious. But you need something for City, too. Like, it's in that matchup, right? Yeah. You need some sort of clever moniker for City. The oil derby. Yeah, that's what it was yesterday, right? Yeah. I don't know if anyone dressed up as a chic. I don't love it when they do that. I'm glad <laughs> that they kind of, they told Newcastle fans, like, just stop. So just maybe don't do that. Just don't much. do that, right? Like, you- you've drank 27 pints today. None of it is a good look. <laughs> But that was a great – I don't know how much you watched of it as a, as a beloved I, Newcastle no, supporter. No, I'm too cheap. I'm
2: so not, not paying for it. I
0: knew he was going to go in this direction. That's why I wanted to bring it up. We only had a couple minutes before the break, but uh, the Premier League season is underway. Yep. And this means a whole new streaming service mm-hmm. that people are nope. now getting caught up with or not subscribing to. You have yet to subscribe to Fubo. I,
2: I, I watch the one game a
0: week on NBC <laughs> – It's like old times. (laughs) So great. There's a one one game. game. There's there's a game of the week, and I watch that on NBC. That's how my dad used to talk about the NFL because he was a huge NFL fan in like the 70s. Yeah, you'd get one game a week. It was Monday Night Football, and that Mm -hmm. was your football for the week. A few years ago, we used to have the best
2: uh, Premiership coverage in Canada, and. Like my friends in the UK would be jealous of all the games we got here. Yep, on our standard cable package. That didn't last long, that did it? Did not last long.
0: So I, because I've talked to a bunch of
2: different because there's a right huge now. game today that I'm not going to watch. Yeah, right. So- Between Manchester United and Liverpool, I would love to watch that, but I'm I have I have too many subscriptions.
0: Yep. I hey, I'm, like you got to watch you. your budget, right? I'm with you, and you're not alone. I had a couple different people reach out to me uh, while I was on vacation and say, hey. Uh, I, I turned on my DAZN and I, I'm looking for the yeah. Premier League and it's not there anymore. Yeah. What do I do? And, and then they're like, I heard I got to get FUBO. Is it worth it? And I'm like, well, here's the rub. You literally can't cover or can't watch or f- even pay attention to the Premier League without mm-hmm. it. It's impossible. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that you're going to watch your one NBC game a week, if that. Apparently on opening weekend, they didn't even have a game on NBC proper. It was all on Peacock. So uh, it's just impossible it's an it's a necessary evil because I don't think it's an especially good product. Yeah. Um, in short, they've got a bunch of different channels that have the the rights, but there's n- nothing around it. There's no. Is it a
2: channel on the package?
0: There is a, There is a Premier League channel, and that's got original programs. No, are you it.
2: streaming though off Fubo?
0: Yeah, but that
2: but so it's not on TV. Like it's not on your standard cable. Like there's one, so- I am like unaware for example, of cable one provider, soccer, provider. another one yeah, am, is actually on my service provider,
0: but it's not on others. I am unaware of any service provider. This is just me speaking, but I'm unaware of any service provider that has Fubo as a channel like one soccer has on TELUS. Right. Um, God, it's confusing. On Fubo, they do carry the Premier League channel, which I, as far as I know, we've never had before in any of these packages. So that's 24-7 live and recorded Premier League programs. Oh, so it's like the NFL Network. Exactly. Kind of that sort right. of thing. So you get all of the glitz and glamour of production, like uh, a very fancy studio show. Top uh,
2: 10 North London Derbies.
0: Yeah, of- right. Frank Lampard's <laughs> five best goals. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. The When Fubo does the games themselves on their individual Fubo channels, I've never seen such bare-bones production in my life. There's no... And I don't know if you necessarily need these in this And now, soccer, basically. And then at halftime, it's like, here are some highlights, not of the match you were watching, just of soccer. Right. That's it. And then they go right back to the match. After the match, uh, there's no analysis. And I don't know, again, how much this stuff matters. I don't know how much pregame and postgame matter. I know I'm on a station that is basically built up on those (laughs) two premises, but still... I don't know how much of it really matters. You're selling to the- it here, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I don't. But I don't know. Like you guys, leaner, a dog. You tell me. Like when you watch a sporting event now, are you tuning in a half hour early to get a breakdown of what's going to happen that night? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. I, I do you. I barely watch the game. Right. So that's. A, there's two challenges. Ruff's just on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the golf course, up to the TV listening. once in a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you. got the gist do- of it. You were doing a post game show on Twitter Spaces, correct? That's For right. A while. Yeah. Like anyone can do that. And I they don't... were actually pretty popular. I... Remember
2: when I called in? Yeah. I was not sober.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I d- it's like, is Ruff in the channel? And like another thing about. This say, team? I'm really enjoying your coverage. <laughs> Can I swear uh, on this? This is great. Oh, good. But but that's the thing. Like, I don't know. How are you supposed to be on air right now? I'm not sure. I, I probably. <laughs> is it seven o'clock in the morning or at night? I don't know if uh, any of this matters. I don't. I've seen some people, and it's granted an older generation, complain about how stripped down and bare bones the production is. But I don't know if anyone really cares that they don't have the three or four guys in suits it's, and ties. It, it's just TikTok dances. Yeah, like that's, that's what they should is. do is they should just somehow People plug, floss plug. for 20 minutes before the <laughs> yeah, game starts. Yeah, right? Just plug a TikTok. Kids break. love it. <laughs> yeah, why not? That's that's the way for me. Anyway, um, we got a lot more to get to on the program. We're going to talk to Cam Robinson about the World Juniors recently completed, and then we're going to do what we learned. That's all coming up in the final hour of the Halford and Rough show on Sportsnet 650.